Shalom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm John McKee, editor of Messianic Apologetics, and along with my co-host, Judah Hamango of Kina T. Letzion, we would like to welcome you to this episode of the Messianic Walk. Hi, folks. I'm Judah, and like John said, I'm from uh, the, the Kina T. blog, and uh, I also run Hava Messianic Radio. Today, we will be talking about the Messianic Passover. The spring holidays are imminently on our doorstep. Mm -hmm. Passover, the Festival of Unleavened Bread, and wouldn't you know it, also Easter. That's right. (laughs) We're going to talk about all of them. (laughs) That's right. We have a very uh, exciting episode for you, some very important things to discuss, and I think that this is one of the most important seasons for us as Messianic people. Now, I do realize that this year with continued COVID restrictions, we will not be able to, for example, have some of those really big, giant congregational Mm. Passover seders where you Mm -hmm. invite guests from the Jewish community as well as the Christian community to participate in the goodness and salvation of the Lord. Mm. Uh, But this is a very important time for today's uh, Messianic community. It's one of the major uh, times for people to get together, to open up their homes, to have uh, very large Passover Seder events. Uh, It's also a time that there are a lot of debates that go on regarding not only, well, how are we supposed to do this Passover Seder, but was the Last Supper a Passover Seder meal, and what's the chronology of three mm-hmm. days and three nights? And the a lot of discussion and, there, yep. And the and the what's commonly called the Passion Week, and you know what do we do about our good buddy, the Easter Bunny, uh, mm-hmm. who lays chocolate <laughs> eggs? That's just a little <laughs> joke. Uh, but uh, this need not be a time for unnecessary debates. I think this is an important time when we focus on God's salvation in the Exodus the sacrifice of Yeshua as the Passover lamb and important themes of God's deliverance to come. Yeah. Yeah. And we wanted to cover some of these, especially with regards to the themes of Passover. I thought uh, it seems to me, John, that Passover is a, is a, an event that ripples throughout the rest of the Bible and much of what God has done in history uh, kind of, points back to Passover. It's such a a transformative event. So yeah, like John said, we wanted to cover that. Uh, We'll talk about that in detail, why it's such a big event and what are the themes of Passover, kind of a a general overview of Passover. Uh, We wanted to also talk about how uh, we see Passover in light of Yeshua. Uh, I think with uh, the new covenant and Messiah's arrival, um, it gave new meaning to Passover. Um, some people maybe take that a different direction and say, ah, it's like a replacement for Passover. But uh, we actually, I, I think as Messianics, we have something special because we see the value in what God commanded in Passover and just the remarkable event, biblical event that it was, as well as it receiving new meaning from Yeshua. And, and you know, I think a lot of folks on the Christian side miss part of that. And obviously folks on, on the Jewish side who don't follow Yeshua on this part of that as well. So we have something unique, and I think that's good. Uh, So we wanted to cover that today. Uh, We also wanted to cover two other topics. One was 
Uh, what does a messianic Passover look like? You know, is John out there um, smearing lamb's blood on his doorpost, for example? You know, <laughs> I think there are uh, quite a few folks who read about Passover but don't know what it looks like. Um, last year, for example, we had um, some folks from our, our church small group, uh, a Jewish woman who had never celebrated Passover before. Um, so her and her family came and um, celebrated Passover in our home with us. And I think it was really great, you know? So I think my point there is there are a lot of folks who don't really know what like a modern messianic Passover looks like. Uh, and so I thought we'd talk a little bit about that. And then the fourth and final thing we wanted to cover is Passover, Easter, and and communion, the Eucharist. Um, what What relation are those? You know, I, I get a lot of people like, well, is communion just like, Passover done every month at my church, um, you know, and is Easter a replacement for Passover? That's another another question. So I, I think it would be good to cover that, not only for those questions kind of coming from the church side of things, but we've also seen from the Hebrew roots uh, side and, and maybe the broader messianic side too, I would say some in, misinformation about, about Easter, whether it's appealing to uh, discredited books or scholarship uh, around the origins of Easter. Um, I think it would be good for us to touch on that. Maybe not, we w- won't go super deep, but those four things we wanted to cover in this episode, and we're going to keep it to under three hours, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. So maybe we could start, John, with that first topic, the themes of Passover, the themes of Exodus. Um as I see it, as I mentioned, it's such a, it's a seminal event of the Bible. Things <clears throat> in the rest of the Bible refer back to Passover. Um, it affected Israel. It affects actually the whole world in some cases. <clears throat> An example of this is in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments start by God saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery referring to Passover and the Exodus. So even in those Ten Commandments, um, which are certainly transformative for Israel, but even all the nations, like Dennis Prager says in his book uh, on on the Rational Bible, he says, Ten Commandments are the best moral code for the whole world, not forget just Jews, like it's for the whole world. Um, so, So the Passover has such a huge impact on the Bible, on the people of Israel, and indeed the whole world. Um, so I wanted to talk about that a little bit, John. Why do you think Passover is such a transformative and significant event, not only in Israel's history, but throughout the whole redemptive plan of the Bible? Well, it's clear enough when you encounter the book of Exodus that you, you've got ancient Israel in slavery in Egypt and mm. without significant divine intervention Israel's hopes are lost. Mm -hmm. And God's promises to Abraham, what are they? Mm. Are they meaningless? Or is God going to be faithful to take his people out of Egypt as he promised Abraham? That's good. So with, uh, with the judgment from God upon the Egyptians, you definitely see uh, significant areas of not only Pharaoh being humiliated by this God of the slaves, this God of the rabble, uh, as it were. But Mm -hmm. these judgments are often 
specifically directed to various Egyptian gods or goddesses. Uh, so it's not only that the ancient Near Eastern superpower be humiliated, but their gods be shown to be the frauds that they actually are. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And you see, of course, at the very beginning, the conflict that Moses has with the Egyptian magicians. Uh, and it's it's clear enough to me that, you know, most of the Egyptian magicians, they were just... Uh, they really weren't, you know, demon possessed. That you know, they mm. they were just more into parlor tricks, you know, sleight of hand mm. types of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there were some who were doubtlessly demon possessed, but they were mm. very, very fraudulent in everything mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they did. And ultimately, mm. they they couldn't duplicate the miracles that God empowered Moses uh, to perform. Uh, you know, you get into the the themes of of the the judgments on Egypt ultimately the Passover lamb and the judgment upon the firstborn. When I look at this whole narrative of the Exodus and and even going into uh, Israel's sojourn in the wilderness, yes, it's very, very important that, you know, God, you know, stands up for those who are being oppressed. God Mm. will Mm. supernaturally intervene for his own if they cry out to him. God will even continue to intervene for his own when they lose faith in him and they start uh, to complain, which is something you certainly see in Exodus. But the this whole theme of being dynamically delivered by God, b- brought through the sea, brought to yes. God's mountain, being given God's instruction, then being ready to enter into God's purposes in God's land uh, there, there's an important uh, narrative that we can even apply to our own lives as believers with the salvation that we have in Yeshua, with being given you know, God's word as the instruction we are to follow and entering into God's purposes for our lives and for his kingdom. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, Exodus is something that is profoundly important, not just for biblical history, uh, you know, the themes of the Exodus, have been appropriated by many religious and political movements throughout history, mm-hmm. but it's also very important for us as believers uh, and the narrative that we are supposed to have uh, gone through in, in being saved from our sins, immersed in water, given God's instruction for our lives, gone through perhaps a wilderness time of, of being readied and then entering into his purposes for the kingdom. Yeah, very good. I like what you said, too, about how Passover is kind of a smackdown of the idolatry of Egypt. You see this playing out in the Torah commandments as well. Um, If you analyze and kind of group the commandments by, you know, what they're about, kind of by subject, you'll see that a great deal of the commandments, in in, in fact, of all the groups, I think the idolatry commandments are the most, where even there, God is saying, you know, don't do this because that's idolatry. Don't do this because that's benefiting from idolatry in some way. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you there. I also like, uh, and, and you referred to this too, John, pass in, with, the, with the story of Passover, God's caring for those who are oppressed also shows up in the Torah and then later in the Gospels as well. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking of some commandments from the Torah where God says, 
you're not to oppress this person because you're to remember that you also were slaves once in Egypt. That gives an example here where Passover is still having that impact um, through commandments later given uh, to Moses and the Israelites. We see that also in the Gospels. You know, I, I think of in, in the Gospels where Yeshua says um, that you're, you're to feed those who are hungry, clothe those who are naked, referring really back to some commandments from the Torah about feeding the poor and taking care of the oppressed. But these also are derived really from this seminal event of the Bible, this Exodus, where God took slaves, people who were oppressed, and as you said, John, they were disappearing. Um, hard oppression, I think, is, is how the Torah describes what was going on then. Um, this, this is a people that would have been blotted out and God intervened. Um, and that ripples throughout the rest of the Torah. Um, it ripples throughout the writings, some of the books of the Old Testament. I'm thinking of when David oppressed people, God rebukes him for doing you know, this great evil, um, and then ripples all the way through the New Testament and the apostolic, uh, apost apostolic scriptures that Yeshua even says, this, this, is, um, this is pleasing to God if you do these things, helping the oppressed. So Passover is huge, man, and, and you're right as well with regards to, um, it's kind of our own story that we have slavery to sin. Every person, uh, I think gets into sin in some part of their lives, oftentimes hidden sin. And that person um, has, has a choice to continue in that way, in that lifestyle, or call out to God for deliverance as the Israelites also did. You know, it says uh, after all those, all that time that the people of Israel cried out to God and that's when God intervened and sent Moses. Um, and I think the, a similar thing is with our own lives is that, we cry out to God and ask for deliverance from deep sin, from, from our current slavery to sin. And God intervenes, delivers us from that, and brings us out in, in a similar way to, to that exodus of coming out of um, that land of slavery, in our case, a slavery to sin, and bringing us out of that uh, into freedom with the Lord and freedom from sin. So, yeah, these, these themes, man, they're huge. It impacts the rest of the Bible. I think it, it even impacts Israel's calendar. It's like the first big item that happens in the biblical new year, which is like two, two weeks before Passover. Uh, so it's a, it's a huge event. And I would say, John, that of all of the feasts in, in, the, in the Bible, um, Passover is, is the biggest in, in, my, in my view in my estimation, certainly among modern messianics, um, Passover is the big one. Um, I, I know in my own congregation, we would not only have the biggest attendance, but we would have people from other congregations, other churches, people we had never seen before come to the Passover. It's a huge event, um, and it's, it's just symbolic of what God does throughout all of history. That's right, and we're supposed to be discussing messianic Passover a little further on in, in our show. That's right. Uh, so yeah. we can exchange some of our stories and some of our experiences as we have seen the Lord at work during this yeah. time. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Should we move on to um, Yeshua's sacrifice? Or did you have anything to add with regards to no, this Passover is fine. themes? Cool, cool. 
So I think, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Messianics have something unique here in that we see the value of Passover, not replacing it, but really keeping Passover, but having a new light with the coming of Messiah. Um, John, at uh, we read in the Gospels when Yeshua says to his disciples, I have greatly desired to, to eat this Passover with you, I think is, is the phrasing. Uh, he, he takes the cup and he says, this is the, the, the cup of the, the new covenant in my blood. And, and likewise with the bread, this is my body. And he says, when you do this, which I take to mean Passover, maybe we could talk about that a bit. But he says, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so in, in Passover, Yeshua says that there's this new covenant being initiated in his blood and in, in his body. So, John, what do you think about all that? What, what is the symbolism that we, what's the new thing that we get with Passover from Yeshua, um, given that he did imbue it with some new meaning? Yeah, I think that see, I lost my, I lost my place here. Um, one of the things that is doubtlessly uh, apparent, uh, if you look at uh, Jewish history from the Second Temple period, is yeah. that the most important event in biblical history for the Second Temple Jewish community was, of course, the Exodus. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, Jews of the Second Temple period, they are a people of the Exodus, you know, God has dramatically delivered us uh, from Egyptian bondage. He has brought us to his mountain. He's given us his Torah, and we are to uh, represent him in a very pagan and a very sinful world. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's hardly a surprise when ideas of messianism really began to be formulated, especially uh, after the return of the exiles from Babylon, David's throne is vacant. What are we mm-hmm. supposed to do about this? Mm-hmm. That the Messiah to come was perceived as a second Moses. He's going to do a lot of the same kinds of things that mm-hmm. Moses did. Uh, one verse that I know can get a lot of people caught off guard is Romans 3, verse 21, which says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And my perspective of this verse has been for quite some time that when the righteousness of God is being discussed here, it's God's dynamic, supernatural, intervening power in human history. Because Mm -hmm. there, of course, there are multiple dimensions of God's righteousness. But when we think about how up until this point in certainly the history of Israel and Second Temple Judaism, that the most important event that defined the people was the Exodus, the Passover. You have Mm -hmm. to have a very significant event to be even more significant Mm -hmm. than the Exodus and the Passover. You really, really do. Mm -hmm. And uh, Paul says, now, apart from the Torah, the righteousness of God has been manifested, but yet it's something being witnessed by the Torah and the prophets. So this righteousness of God is not something in discontinuity. It is something in continuity. Mm, and yes. uh, what I believe what is actually being talked about 
is the faithfulness of Yeshua the Messiah, his willingness to, his obedience to the Father unto death for sinful humanity. This righteousness mm-hmm. that has been manifested is the Messiah event, and it's mm-hmm. something that concerns his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's the only thing that I can see in history that would in fact be even more significant than the Exodus. So for us as believers uh, in Yeshua, we believe Yeshua is the Passover lamb sacrifice for our sins. We believe that the Messiah event is the most important event in human history because it provides this final atonement for human transgressions. I don't see uh, what we're about to commemorate in any way in discontinuity uh, with the Exodus. I see everything that we're going to be commemorating with Passover, it's both and. It's the Exodus mm. and it's remembering Yeshua's work. And mm-hmm. and that is mm-hmm. so unspeakably powerful when you really you know think, probe it and when you really contemplate it. And uh it's this is a very very important time we're we're getting ready to enter into and it's yeah. it's no surprise why this time with uh you know Jewish people who you know they're looking for some place to observe the passover you know which they may not really have been keeping the past couple of years or whatever the case might be and Christian people who you know they know that Yeshua is the lamb slain for their sins but mm. what does that actually mean and doesn't that come from the old testament someplace mm. um, you know <laughs> yes. this is the time that you see these these very important dynamics working together and uh, this is this is just to, to me uh, just as you have said uh, it's it's one of the most important seasons of, if not the most important season of the year for us as the Messianic community, yeah. because it really gives us an opportunity to shine who we are. I'd like to talk more about that lamb aspect in just a moment, but I want to kind of recap what you said to, to make sure I understand too. You're saying, look, in Romans 3, where it says that God's righteousness apart from the Torah has been revealed, uh, to which the Torah and prophets bear witness. First, there is an eclipsing of, of the significance of Passover. Doesn't mean Passover is insignificant, but it means something even greater has happened. That's correct. So that's, that's step one. And then just the step two there is it's not a discontinuation of Passover, but rather, as Romans says, that the prophets and the Torah point to this righteousness from God, which is Yeshua. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that now for Paul writing in the first century, there has been an event that is even more significant than the Exodus, as significant as that was. And this event is something that is not in discontinuity with the Torah and the prophets. It's something that the Torah and the prophets give testimony to. Yeah, yeah. And again, I'm just, I'm grateful to God that we've been given uh, to both of those parts of the picture. You know, a lot of folks are missing one or the other, and I'm not saying we got it all figured out, but we see value in what God has done in the past through Passover, as well as the grand significance of the coming of God's ultimate righteousness, the appearance of his son, the King Messiah. Because ultimately ultimately what we have to do is we have to take these themes of Passover and the Exodus and Yeshua's sacrifice for us, and we have to apply this to our own life and to mm-hmm. our walking out the mission of God in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's right, man. Good. Let's talk a little bit about 
the lamb uh, and with regards to blood, I, I was having an interesting conversation not too long ago. Someone said, hey, I came from an atheist family. And one of the weird things to to Christianity to me and this person is, is a believer. But um, she said one of the just weird things was how, you know, there's all this blood, blood, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Uh, <laughs> that has and, and, and maybe maybe Passover can illuminate that a little bit. The Gospel of John really paints Yeshua as the Lamb, perhaps more than any other book of the Bible, um, as the Lamb of God. I've also heard people liken that Lamb of God to that Lamb of Passover. At Passover, um, the Israelites put the, the blood of this Lamb on the doorpost, and God passes over the Israelites um, and, and brings judgment on the Egyptians, uh, particularly with the firstborn. Um, so, John, what do you think of the, the Yeshua as the lamb and Yeshua as the Passover lamb? What do you think of those analogies? Does it, does it bring new light into all the blood talk of, of uh, Jesus's blood in, in, in the New Testament? Well, I think what people really do have to, 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 to process is, oh, all right, in the original Exodus, mm-hmm. the blood of the lamb had to be you know, painted on the the doorposts and lentils of the Israelite homes, and the yes, yes. angel of death would pass over, and mm-hmm. the the firstborn would not be killed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Yeshua's sacrifice for us as sinners is predicated on the Passover lamb. Yeshua's sacrifice for us is not predicated on sacrifices to Molech and Chemosh. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not predicated on, you know, you know, some kind of human sacrifices taking place in the Greco-Roman world to appease the the god or goddesses. Yes, uh, right. Mm-hmm. It is. It follows in very significant typological patterns, arguably going back to the sacri- or almost sacrifice of Isaac, the son of promise, mm-hmm. and you know Yeshua in him in his own person is one who embodies the ultimate aim of that pass that original Passover sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, one of the things that I think we, that gets lost on us uh, because we are two millennia removed from the fall of the second temple is that lambs were being sacrificed throughout, you know, once Israel came into the promised land, for sure, the second temple period, you know, I believe that as Yeshua was conducting his last supper Passover meal, that there were lambs being sacrificed in the second temple, that there were Passover sacrifices happening, and they had to re- had to go on and on and on and on. And yet, we now view Yeshua's Passover sacrifice as the final sacrifice for us that um hey i'm back yeah we had a little technical difficulty that was yeah that was on my side my internet just decided to go out um
Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be waiting for uh, Judah to rejoin us. Uh, but as he was saying, you know, some people, and I think a great deal of it has to do with the fact that people today don't live in a society where animals are readily sacrificed. And the scriptures depict Yeshua of Nazareth as the final sacrifice for sins, and he is the ultimate sacrifice, not only of the Passover, but of all of the sacrifices of the Torah. But it is something that goes back to Isaac being willing to be sacrificed by his father. Of course, we know that God stopped that at the last minute. And uh, also the uh, sacrifice of the original Passover lamb with the blood spread on the doorposts and lentils of the house. Okay, Judah's back with us. I was just repeating uh, to our audience uh, what we had been talking about. Yeah, sorry about that. Hopefully I don't have more internet issues. We'll see. Um, but we'll trim the video if I do. So Now, our, another important theme of Passover, uh, beyond yes. just uh, the sacrifice of the lamb, concerns leaven. Oh, yes. I mean, we're about to come up on a very difficult week of no bread, no donuts, mm. no cookies, and, <laughs> oh, my goodness, no beer. <laughs> ah, yes, yes. Yeah, so for the, un- the week of unleavened bread, there's actually... Some people don't realize you've got two two feasts, Passover day, and then you have a week of unleavened bread uh, following. And yeah, in the New Testament, <clears throat> we see leaven being likened to sin in some cases. I know um, I'm thinking specifically, John, Paul talks about uh, throwing out the yeast, the, the, the leaven, um, getting that sin out of our lives and and saying, you know, let us keep the feast. Um, do you recall which which verse that is, John? Maybe I, we could just bring it up here. Uh, yes, it's in it, it's in First Corinthians chapter ten. Thanks. Let's see here. So yeah, with this, um, I, I thought this might be good also to consider with regards to Passover. So yeah, here it is. Uh, let's see here. Uh, First Corinthians to oh maybe that's not it. Hmm. Let's see. Okay, I was going for memory. First Corinthians five. Ah, All right. Okay. Divided <laughs> You're by close, half. John. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, here we are. Okay. We could maybe start in verse six. He says, "You're boasting." Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Your boasting is no good. Don't you know that a little chametz, which we often translate as leaven, leavens the whole batch of dough? Here he's speaking of a little sin uh, causes, kind of corrupts the, the whole body, perhaps. Get rid of the old chametz, the old leaven, so that you may be a new batch, just as you are unleavened. For Messiah, our Passover lamb, this is kind of touching on what John and I just discussed, Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old chametz, the chametz of malice and wickedness, but rather with unleavened bread, the matzah of sincerity and truth. Uh, A few notes about this that certainly stand out is 
this is very Passover-ish language here it with is. regards to the leaven, uh, with regards to the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Um, what do you think of this this likening of of leaven to sin? Does this appear elsewhere in the Bible, John? Well, well, certainly we we see leaven being referred to as sin in Galatians five. I just did a study on that ah, ah. Uh, this past week, so hmm. um, <laughs> fresh on the mind. And and I think one of the what, what's so important is you know because intrinsically in itself, there's nothing wrong with yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with eating bread, but mm-hmm. when we Remember the festival of unleavened bread in this Passover season. We're to remember that ancient Israel did not have time to let the dough rise. Uh, They had to eat this bread in haste. And much of the cleansing process that this involves. And and I know today that, you know, many of us, you know, especially over the next few days, we're going to get all the bread out of our homes that we can. Mm -hmm. I remember a couple years ago. Uh, we had all this beer in the refrigerator, and well, anyway, you all get the idea. Um, and uh, it was used even, as a drink offering, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. So special libations, but even more so, you know, think about you know cleaning out your oven or your toaster oven, and and I have this this thing called an air fryer, which sure. I yeah, use yeah. for a lot of you know like bread related items. I mean, have you ever tried to, to clean some of this stuff out? I mean, it ain't mm. easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm not somebody who's like, oh, you know, we've got to get every single microbe out of this. I mean, sure. but sure. but this is an object lesson of how difficult it can be to get all the sin out of our lives. That's and right. inevitably, right. this is to point us to the supremacy of our creator and his grand mercy for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I see. And, and how we need that Passover lamb, that Passover sacrifice. Now, I know I got, I know I got the reference wrong. You know, First Corinthians five, but First Corinthians ten, my heart was in the right place oh? because there, this also has themes of the Exodus involved. Mm. And and Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and we were baptized or immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock Mm. was Messiah. And then, of course, verses 5 and 6, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Now, these things happened as examples. Uh, uh, This is New American Standard. Some versions have warnings for Mm. us that Hmm. we should not crave evil things as they also craved. And and what's so important about, we're not just remembering the Exodus because, oh yeah, God, you know, delivered ancient Israel and he punished the Egyptians and he, you know, humiliated the Pharaoh and, you know, Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston. We're not just, uh, you know, (laughs) remembering this season for all those really big, important things. We're also remembering it for, Guess what? The mistakes that were made. Mm, interesting. And, and how many times do the Israelites complain? Oh God, come on! I want water. Come on! I want meat. Come on! I want this. Mm-hmm. Um, how many the leeks times? And the onions of Egypt. Exactly. Moses, did you bring us into this wilderness to die? We were much mm. better off in Egypt. Um, we study the season not just because of the mighty acts of God 
but because of the faithlessness of the Israelites. And I know I have a psychologist friend who who wondered, uh, you know, how and why did this happen? You know, the Israelites, uh, you know, they got to see, you know, the, the, the Red Sea split in two, and they get to the other side, and within with not even within three days, they start complaining. Mm-hmm. What's the big deal here? And mm-hmm. um, I think with, with the Israelites, so many of them had been abused as slaves, and they mocked these promises of God. Oh, the deliverer will never come. Oh, we're just stuck here. Um, sure. Better to die in Egypt than, you know, or whatever it is. Whatever, whatever, whatever people say to themselves to cope with life situations. Oh, that'll never happen. Oh, uh, all. how difficult would it have been to completely be removed from that mindset, even in spite of seeing the dramatic acts of God? Indeed, it would have been very difficult. Um, there's also that kind of bias of nearness. You know, what have you done for me lately? Right. So, <laughs> or, so, even if it's a few days later, but nonetheless. Right. Uh, and, yeah. And so it's just fascinating. Every year you you remember the Passover and, you, and you're dealing with these big mm-hmm. themes of the Exodus and Yeshua's deliverance that then something else just, you know, comes to the forefront. Oh yeah. Don't you know how faithless Israel was? Or mm-hmm. yeah. Don't you know about, you know, later in the, in the narrative, the golden calf, I mean, don't you know about this and don't you know about that? Um, and and it's important that, that we have a, a full picture of all of this. Um, That's good. Yeah. So, I, mean, I mean, Paul used, used the themes of the Exodus and Israel's deliverance to highlight how, guess what? God judged most of the people who were brought through the Red Sea. They didn't That's make it into the promised land. They fell yeah. into idolatry even in the wilderness. That's good. So those really three areas then. Um, one is is that remembering. I think it's important to remember what God's done. I have a thought on that in just a moment. But two, also to get sin out of our lives, as, as you said, John. Um, and, and, and three is, look, if you go back to sin, you're going back to slavery. And these things that happened in the past are warnings for us not to go back to that slavery. Um, and these are meaningful, man. Like I can apply these to my life. I, I look at my life and like, yep, okay. Do I want to go back to slavery over there? Um, so this is this is really meaningful. With with regards to that first one, um, remembering. I know a lot of people can kind of poo-poo the remembering, but I've seen this like with my own kids, John. Like if I, you know, do something special for my kids, and maybe we go out to eat or something, I always make sure they they give thanks and not just to God, but also to, to me and my wife for taking them out. Right. Because, because it's like, if you, if you're not grateful, you, you grow cold, you go, you grow, um, Oh, I don't know, spoiled. And like, you're, you're, uh, I don't know. There's, there's, you, you kind of turn away from being good. If you, if you don't have that gratefulness. And, um, I think with the remembering so many of the feasts, especially Passover, are about remembering what God has done. And that's like the first step to gratefulness. Like, oh, okay, God did this for our people. And I think even in the New Testament, Paul says, like, you, you speak you speak as if, um, maybe it's not Paul, but you speak as if you were there at, in Egypt, like you personally were delivered. If you have that remembering, that produces in you a response. And that response should be, I'm grateful for what God has done in the past. Like if that didn't happen, 
the people of Israel would have been wiped out. There would have been no nation of Israel, no prophets, no Messiah of Israel. Like it starts there. Uh, and so we should, we should have that gratefulness built up. And, and part of that is remembering. So it's not, and it's not just as John, you said, you know, Hey, for this week, we're not going to eat bread. That's part of the remembering, right? Like um, it's not like just, Oh, that night we're going to remember. Okay. Thank you, God. Now let's move on with our lives. No, it's actually a whole week of I'm not eating bread to kind of call to mind the reality of what happened back then. And I think that also calls to mind what God has done. I know. Yeah. I, I remember a number of years ago, I was conducting a verse by verse study of first Corinthians. And yeah. I, I was, I actually cataloged a number of opinions from Christian examiners, you know, okay. So you know, they, they believe that the law has been abolished. They believe that the festivals have been done away. But what do they do with, you know, First Corinthians 5, 7? Yeah. Uh, Messiah, our Passover has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast. Well, what do they do with that? <laughs> because, I, you know, Messianic yeah. people believe that, you know, Paul is telling them in the first century to mm-hmm. have some kind of important remembrance of the Passover tied into the sacrifice of Yeshua. So what do they do with that? You know, this is not an anti-Passover verse. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was kind of interesting is the interpreters who said, well, you know, Paul obviously believed that Passover was part of the Jewish religion and it had been abolished, but he still believed that good, faithful Christians were to live forth the themes of Exodus and the original Passover. Passover is a daily way of life. And I, and I said, you know, um, if you just push these remarks about Passover being abolished off to the side, mm-hmm. that is true. Passover is to be a way of life. Mm-hmm. We are to be people of the Exodus. We are to carry these themes with us, not just yes. during this next week in front of us, but throughout the year, every day. It's to be a reality uh, that we remember all the time. Uh, And uh, one of the things I think is so important, because perhaps it's becoming more relevant as we contemplate the future, you know, 2020 and now 2021 have not been ideal years. Uh, We've had (laughs) all these weird events going on. And regardless of some of the specifics, more people are talking about the end times than ever before. Uh, You know, I've got friends of mine who, you know, they not that they have have had complete nervous breakdowns. But, you know, they think we're getting closer to the Lord's return and Mm -hmm. they don't know what to do about who's in power and what about this and what about that. And I may never board an airplane again if they're going to make me have, you know, some vax and whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But I said, you know, if if you really believe that, that, you know, it's all about to hit the fan and everything's going to come crashing down, then you have to remember how God protected his people supernaturally during the plagues upon Egypt, how God protected his people supernaturally during the, um, during the period of the book of Acts, you have to remember some of these things and you have to take comfort from them. Uh, And, and I, and, and so these themes that we're going to be remembering, they have important future significance as well. Yeah, that's excellent, John. Um, and, and I'm with you 100%. I think that those interpreters, how they said uh, that these themes could be lived out uh, in a daily life, man, it speaks to me. You know, it's like, oh, man, I've had sins in my life. I've had addictions in my life. And it is a daily thing of, 
all right, do I want to go back to that? You know, it's so I, I think it can be applied. And yeah, like we said, maybe we the, the part about discarding Passover, we, we throw away. But um, yeah, that's good. So these are themes that because of Messiah uh, and because of just you know, the, the faith in the God of Israel has gone global, um, that these can be applied today. It's new, meaningful things that Messiah has brought to Passover, not as a replacement, but has has brought to Passover to to in in some ways both eclipse it but not discontinue uh, the Passover. So yeah, uh, this is excellent stuff. John, I would like to move on to what Passovers look like today. Uh, we could talk about it uh, from both of our perspectives. But is there anything else you wanted to add with regards to the new covenant, Yeshua, and the Passover? I mean, to me, ultimately, you know, Yeshua. It is only the death, burial, and resurrection, the Messiah event, that would um, exceed the significance of the original Passover and Exodus. But -hmm. it's not to be viewed as something that supersedes it. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. something that that took place in continuity with it. And in order for us as faithful Bible believers to genuinely appreciate the sacrificial work of Yeshua, we also have to genuinely appreciate the Exodus. Good. Yeah. I almost think of it like oftentimes we see prophecies in the Bible um, are fulfilled, but then kind of happen again later. I'm thinking of some things with Daniel and, and maybe the Maccabees and, and how, how the Romans destroyed the temple, things like that. These kind of recurring events happen over and over. I think the, the Passover event is recurring with the appearance of Yeshua, um, that not only did, did with Passover taking a, a band of slaves out of um, the, that nation of, of slavery and making them a free nation and bringing them near to God, um, this, kind, this whole event happens again, but perhaps on a grander and more global scale with Yeshua's arrival, that now God is taking uh, it's it's open to the whole world. It's a it's a global event and bringing us out of that sin, delivering us from slavery to sin. So, I think it's it's not a as you said, it's not a discontinuation of Passover. It's almost like an, another iteration of Passover events happening, but on a grander scale. I completely agree, and I would add this. I know that many people who believe, as as we all do, that there is significant prophetic fulfillment involved with the appointed times. Mm-hmm. Many mm-hmm. people like to say, well, Yeshua has come in fulfillment of the spring feast and he'll come in fulfillment of the fall feast when he returns. And okay. I know, I know why it's communicated that way, but that's a little sure. simplistic and a little prepackaged in okay. my mind because it, because mm. it assumes that there's nothing in the spring festivals that has to teach us actually about the end times when in fact we start getting into the judgment of, of God upon Egypt. We get Ah, into the death of the firstborn. We get Mm -hmm. into the figure of the Pharaoh of Egypt. It's like, come on. There are so many parallels with the book of revelation, with the future anti-Messiah. It's it's pretty, it's pretty obvious that Passover and the Exodus as significant as it is for Yeshua's salvation work, still has things to teach us about the end times that I don't think we probe significantly enough. And, and I know that there are plenty of people, I think, who have uh, probed this uh, in various degrees, but mm-hmm. 
I would have to say that the Exodus still has importance for the people of God moving forward. And there's still prophetic fulfillment yet ahead that, uh, well, we're just going to have to wait and find out. This is important then, John, because we've said on a previous podcast that the Messianic movement is the end times move of God. I think that was kind of your your phrase, your way of looking at the movement. And I, and I concur with it. If that's true, then Passover really has a lot to say to the Messianic movement, doesn't it? Because as you're saying, there are a lot of, I don't know, parallels or foreshadowing perhaps between Passover, the events of Passover, and what happens in the book of Revelation. Um, I know my old, older brother, Jesse, also, he, he really underlined this um, when we were celebrating Passovers together when we were living in the same state, uh, that many of the plagues that come on the world are, are kind of parallel to the plagues that happened in the Exodus. So the plagues of Revelation, similar to the plagues of Exodus. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm with you, John. There's You're right. There's a lot. And that's, I think, a ill-explored area. Um, maybe we've only scratched the surface. So much, much to be um, learned from that. All right. So, uh, great. Fantastic. This has actually been really useful to me. I'm, yes, I'm hopefully my seat is, about isn't going to fall apart. <laughs> is that what happened there? Okay. It's not the seat of Moses, so. <laughs> no, it's just the seat of John. No. <laughs> right. Great. Let's talk about Passovers, what they look like today. Again, there's a, I suspect uh, some of our listeners may not have taken part in the Passover, or maybe you've only seen it from your local congregation. So, We'd like to talk about what what a Passover looks like today, um, whether that's maybe Jewish Passovers, but also just the Messianic Passover. What does it look like for believers in Yeshua? So, John, tell me about your Passovers. Tell tell the audience what what what. Oh my! For you. Um, well, <laughs> one of the things that I know for certain is, and um, I don't want to. This isn't a commercial, but um, hmm. our ministry does have this resource, our Messianic Spring Holiday Helper, which is over yeah. 400 pages detailing a lot of our experience concerning this season. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's an extensive article in here on uh, the whole issue of, you know, was the Last Supper a Seder meal and the chronology of what's commonly called the, the Passion Week and whatnot. Yes. But I know being in Messianic ministry, our experience concerning Passover is different than just the normal individual or family. Because we've got to field a lot of questions. We've got to mm. field a, a number of controversies. My parents at our local congregation for the past several years, at least uh, until last year with some of the COVID shutdowns and everything, uh, they were in charge of putting together the big giant Passover at um the Intercontinental Hotel, uh, the name got changed. I don't remember what it is now. Uh, but, you know, that was that's something that would host a minimum of 350 to 400 people. And uh, it was something that, you know, it concerned a lot of behind the scenes issues. You know, we've got to prepare hors d'oeuvres. We've got to have enough matzah. We've got to yeah. make sure that the matzah ball soup doesn't taste a much less look like golf ball soup. Um <laughs> <laughs> because the matzo balls that they had basically were golf balls <laughs> with dishwater. So, you know, we had all of these, you know, behind the scenes questions. You know, is, is there, are there enough shank bones? Are there enough this, enough mm-hmm. Passover plates? Does the sound work? Um, and when you work some of these things behind the scenes and have to address a lot of questions, yes, 
Passover, the Exodus, Yeshua's sacrifice, all these things. You know, this, this is like the real exciting part of Passover to you spiritually. But when you've got to involve yourself in all this behind the scenes stuff, it's like, oh, oh, Passover's coming. I wish I could just, you know, we, you know, it's just it's very frustrating. And, mm-hmm. and we haven't even gotten into some of the controversies. Well, are you going to be having lamb? Oh, don't mm-hmm. you know that only circumcised men can eat of the Passover? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, we're going to have a circumcision inspection. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but these are the kinds of things that, uh, yeah. that, that come up. Well, you know, are you following traditions of men and Judaism? Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Or, sure. um, you know, why are you not following more tradition? And, you know, why is this mm-hmm. not an all-night Passover Seder. I mean, those mm-hmm. are the kinds of things that, that we've had to field. And, you know, ultimately, I do believe that, you know, Messianic Judaism on the whole has done a very good job with, you know, the Passover Seder and integrating Messianic themes into it uh, mm-hmm. and Yeshua-focused uh, concepts. Uh, I think on the whole, if you host a very large Passover event, you know, two, two and a half hours is what a large group can, can handle. Uh, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people just can't handle that that much more of it. Uh, sometimes uh, this year we are mainly going to be going to uh, a local friend's uh, home, uh, part of our congregation. Uh, they'll be hosting a Passover be- with twenty twenty five people, and you know, mm. like everyone coming, we'll be you know bringing a contribution. Uh, and and some of that is is just because of the things that are going on in our own lives with Grandma Huey being coming to the end and and it's just going to be easier to 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 commemorate it with 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 someone else because it's only Mm -hmm. you know the two or three of us uh here Um, so so it's not going to be so we're not going to be able to have really a a a big giant you know commemoration our our own selves uh so but but it's very important for for uh people in the messianic community and passover uh i think on the whole you know there's wide agreement that the last seder you know, the Last Supper was a was a Seder meal. Uh, I think Messianic Judaism does an excellent job with that. Passover is a great time. Uh, if you, even if you have a large congregational Seder, uh, for you to open up your home and, and have a Seder of 20, 30 people, if you can do it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It is a great time to get to know people that uh, you are unfamiliar with people who are regular visitors to your congregation, you know, get them plugged into, to, to a Passover Seder at someone's home, uh, especially new people who uh, are coming from a church background or a Jewish background. Uh, Passover is a community building experience. These are the important things I think of just practical Passover observance. Yeah. I'm with you too, oh, and, John. And, and, when it comes, oh, and when it comes to the whole issue of, eating leaven or what is leavened or what's not leavened mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for me myself yes i'm not going to eat any bread yes we've cleaned out as much as we know to clean out uh but for what other people are doing don't ask don't tell because mm, yeah <laughs> i mean the, the fact is is that some people you know they're going to get all of the known yeast and bread products out of their you know refrigerator out of their uh pantries but, you know, they might still have something that has some kind of breading on it. And, well, you know, we're not too sure about that. Or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, oh, well, how do we know that tortillas are unleavened? I mean, it's like, uh-huh. don't ask, mm-hmm. don't tell. Uh, right, right. You can really go, I've seen folks go to very extreme lengths. And no judgment if that's what you feel 
uh, convicted to do by all means. I, I'm, I'm not against that. I think um, a lot of people aren't um, quite that deep into it. And, and I think Passover can just be a learning experience in that regard where it's like, oh, okay, we're, we're not like you, a lot of people will just be like, Oh, I'm, I'm new to this. Oh, we're, we're not eating bread tonight. Okay. That can be the introduction. It can be as simple as that. I'm with you too. Um, there's so many disputes over small things that in the grand scheme of things aren't, we, we, we have to keep the bigger picture in mind. Um, everything from, you know, do you, should we have, should we have eggs on the Seder plate and do we need the shank bone and do we need this and this and this? Um, should we have the four cups of Passover? And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, some people say, well, that's too much rabbinics. And I've heard the other side, well, hold on. It looks like Yeshua is actually taking a cup of Passover. You know, is, is that the cups of, of, of Judaism? So look, all of that are, are side issues that can be discussed. I just encourage folks to to follow their 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 best convictions. My parents would often say, "Do do what you can do," and I I feel like um, that's I, I do what I can do that works for myself and my family. And I would just encourage listeners to do the same. Um, my experience also, John, with with Passover is has been similar in that there's so much planning involved uh, if you're hosting. Again, maybe this isn't super relevant to everybody watching, but it's it's a lot. And so I'd encourage if you're attending a Passover, thank the host because, man, it's a lot. I remember being at my congregation where I was preparing for Passover um, for at least a month in advance, preparing materials, um, the Haggadahs, um, printing material, all sorts of stuff. I mean, just it, and it was a massive effort. We had multiple teachers all coming together to prepare materials to get everything. We would lose money, our congregation. We, yeah, we would charge a, a, a small fee to, to have a, mit, a dinner, but we would still lose money on the whole. Um, it's a lot, man. It, I remember at one point I would, I would say it's the day of Passover. Praise God, because I, that means I'm done with all my prep work. Like I can't go back now. I'm done. Like it's it's a, almost a burden lifted when Passover actually arrived because it was so much planning and preparation. It's just so much work. That said, the Passover itself, I've had awesome times, man. Um, it's been some of the most joyful times for me. Um, we always at our congregation uh, we sing the Hallel Psalms, which are uh, Psalms one thirteen through one eighteen, I believe. Um, we would sing songs from each of those psalms, and it was just such a joyful, fun time. Um, and I, I just always felt out of that coming, feeling like I was closer to God, feeling like um, despite all of the prep work that needed to be done, that um, I grew a little bit in the Lord through all that. Um, wonderful time with communities and families, too. Um, I, as I look at it, maybe it's not the case for everybody. As I look at it, Passover is a good one to involve kids. Um, traditionally, we have kids read parts of, of the, the Haggadah, the, the telling of, of, of the story of Passover, and we involve kids. Uh, kids will ask questions, you know, why this night is different than all the others and things like that. I think it's, it's a good way to involve kids, and I've, I've done that with my own kids um, at past Passovers. And it's been good. You know, it's a good, it's a good way of, it's a different way of teaching. You know, one way of teaching is you talk at people. Another way of teaching is, ah, 
you're going to participate in this even in some small way. And um, that helps people grow. So I, I love that Passover, at least for me, has been a real family event. Um, the last last year's Passover and this year's Passover are different for me because I moved out of my home state, moved away from my congregation. And last year, all congregations were closed at this time of the year because of COVID. And so for the first time, I was like, all right, I'm going to do a Passover in my home. And like, it'll just really be for my family. We ended up inviting a few folks too, but it was really for my family. And it was really good. It was way shorter than what I've done at congregations. Like, John, you said, you know, two and a half hours is really the max time you can go for a Passover. You lose people. That's probably even generous there. It's probably you lose people after an hour. But um, but it was it was a lot shorter for just my family. And it was still good. You know, it was like, oh, but Passover, I have I can't omit this and I can't omit this. I can't take that out. Turns out I could. And we still had a meaningful Passover. Uh, and so, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is maybe if you're doing it in your home, you're doing it with friends, maybe it can be tailored just for those folks um, and it, it'll still turn out well. I don't think we have to do the every little thing. As you mentioned, John, in, in Orthodox Judaism, Passovers can go till midnight uh, or, or through the night. Uh, I was at one such Passover with some folks from First Fruits of Zion, wonderful family, love them. And I remember being at their Passover Seder um, uh, in their home. It was, it was a wonderful time, blessed time. It was getting late, though, and I thought, boy, I should probably get home. And, you know, it's, it's getting really late. It's getting dark. And uh, I remember it was I, close to 11 p.m. or something, and I thought, guys, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to go. Like, I just had to go because it was getting so late. Um, so I've been, I've been part of those. And they were still, no, we're going to read through the book of Exodus or whatever it was. And that's fine. Like, like I said, some people may want to take it to that, to those lengths, by all means, you know, kol ha-kavod, all, all the glory to you if you want to continue with that. Um, I've, I've seen the gamut, and it's okay if it differs. It doesn't have to look a certain way. I think there are some commandments for Passover that we ought to keep, but there's a lot of traditions that we could say are just flexible. Right. Well, um, the, the Passover Haggadah is something that's been adapted rewritten, readapted, uh, <laughs> rewritten again by Jewish yes. communities all over the world and, and yeah. even all over America. Uh, mm, yeah. I remember a number of years ago, I was at uh, Tom Thumb in Richardson, Texas, where there's a kosher market, and they had free copies of the Maxwell House Haggadah. Uh, yes, Maxwell House, the coffee people, um, I know you. Oh, oh, I know you. Seriously, <clears throat> I know you don't drink that kind of coffee. I don't either. Good to the but, last drop, right? That was that's Maxwell yes. House. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you go online, you see like the South Beach Haggadah. The mm. you know, I'm like, okay, where do people come up with these things? I'm just looking yeah. for the Star Trek Haggadah. I mean, come <laughs> on, you know. I, I have seen some sci-fi Haggadahs. Um, I know um, Yair Rosenberg on Twitter, who's a journalist, I think for Slate. Um, his dad did like a Harry Potter Haggadah, which is going to seem like absolute heresy to a bunch of people listening. But nonetheless, there, it's you're right. The point is, is yeah, it's right. It's been rewritten and, and, by many groups. But you know, you look at some of the like more mainstream. Okay, this is that. This is from the the Orthodox. This is from the conservative. Yeah. This is from the Reform. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think the one of the major ones that's out there from 1980, 1981, 1982 is called the the Feast of Freedom uh, by the conservative movement. That's actually oh, a very good one. Okay. Um, and there are some important, you know, that's just a good resource to have anyway, because the, hmm. because as 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 those of us who are in ministry can attest, there are important teaching themes that we're going to be talking about all during this week. Uh, those who yeah. are in congregational leadership and teaching, you know, you need to be talking about the Exodus. You need to be talking about the sacrifice of Yeshua. You need to be talking about a num- all of these themes that play into this important season. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, I know also some messianic groups have put forth their own Haggadah as well. I know First Fruits of Zion has, I think Tim Hegg's Torah resource has, if I'm not mistaken as well. Right. And the one that uh, we will probably be using uh, is the uh, Messianic Jewish Haggadah published by Lederer uh, Barry Rubin. Ah, That's probably the most widely circulated Haggadah. Interesting. Uh, And it's something that uh, you can have, you can have the actual Passover part of your home Seder under an hour. Ah, okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm kind of just putting together my own, again, tailoring it to my family, because that's where my calling is right now at this point in right. my life. But um, yeah, okay, fair enough. Cool. Very cool. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit too about how we fit Yeshua. And it's not, it's not like retrofitting Yeshua into Passover. Rather, as we said earlier, because Yeshua's arrival is almost like another iteration of the Exodus, how do we how do we recognize that in our Passover celebration? So maybe that's a good question for you, John, to start. I, I can give my thoughts too. But when you guys celebrate Passover, where does where do you, where does Yeshua fit into your Passover celebration? Well, I'm going to make it real easy for you. Uh, even before we entered into the Messianic movement, my late father got involved with uh, Zola Levitt's ministry. Yeah. And particularly Zola Levitt's teachings on Yeshua in the festivals. Mm. And uh, for a number of years uh, at our local church on the Thursday night before Good Friday. Okay, so this is back in the 1980s, just to give you a t- This is before really the big messianic explosion of the 90s. Yeah. Uh, he gave a presentation on Yeshua, Jesus as the Passover lamb, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, connecting Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection to the themes of the Exodus, but most especially the Last Supper to the themes of the traditional Seder. Uh, and that was a huge carrot for later uh, when we got into the Messianic movement to, you know, okay, this is something that Kim would have done, and this is something that is in continuity with our previous Christian experience. This is not something in discontinuity. It's mm-hmm. you know, remembering Yeshua in the feast, particularly this festival of Passover. So for us, you know, I have always believed that the Last Supper was a Seder meal. Now, yeah. were there some modifications with the uh, traditions of the Second Temple period? Because, well, you know, Yeshua is going to be sacrificed that year, and there are some emergency uh, you know, considerations that need to be made. Yes, I believe that's why you've got some issues with the dating and, you know, all, all these other things with the Passion Week, as it's commonly called. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can't think in zeros and ones when you read the Holy Scriptures. You have to be a little flexible. You yeah, have to okay. take into account mm-hmm. how many lambs are being sacrificed. 
-hmm. have to take into account, okay, you know, could Yeshua's Passover Seder meal be held a little early because of emergency circumstances? Uh, mm -hmm. How much did Yeshua actually follow some of the mainstream traditions of his time? Uh, of course, the, the whole debate over how long is three days and three nights? Does it have to be a full sure. 72 hours? Is it right. Good Friday to Easter Sunday? Um, for me, for myself, I actually adhere to a Thursday crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe that uh, both the Good Friday, Easter Sunday, and then the full 72 hours come up short in, in several places. Um, so I, I believe that you, you simply have to touch on three day periods and three night periods. Uh, so, but that, that's my take on it. Uh, I think that when you, but, but ultimately what it comes down to, you know, Yeshua is conducting a Passover Seder with his disciples. And yes. in fact, uh, as perhaps as much as a third of the gospel of John is spent with the discussion that was taking place at the last supper it's just wow. so, I mean, it just, it just puts a whole new light on some of the ministry work of Yeshua. So many of those uh, expressions that we look to for, you know, comfort and look for, for solace and direction in John's gospel were given at the last supper. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. and we forget that. Mm. This wow. is the conversation that is taking place. Wow. Wow. Fascinating. So, I mean, this is, this is, this is important. It's not to be trivialized. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, um, that's that's excellent, John. I, some of that I wasn't aware of either, um, and I, I did know that your your late father um, had become involved in those Yeshua in the Passover, Jesus in the Passover, Jesus in the feast, that and that kind of paved the way for your family to to enter the Messianic movement. And I, I, I think that's actually fairly common that a lot of folks uh, from the Christian world have seen it Passover is almost like a step toward rediscovering the Hebraic roots or the Jewish roots of Christianity. Um, so I think Passover has really opened a lot of eyes in that regard. Um, for myself with Yeshua in, in the Passover, again, seeing, seeing Yeshua's appearance as a, another iteration of that, that theme of Passover where, there's deliverance, there's an exodus from that slavery, there's uh, freedom from that slavery. Um, we, we weave that throughout our Haggadah, where, where we're saying, hey, this is how it was celebrated in Israel, this is what took place. Consider how it, it was, I don't know if fulfilled is the right way, but consider how it was um, given additional meaning um, with Yeshua's appearing and how the disciples also saw that. So we weave it throughout, even in the cups of Passover, which again, as you said, you know, some of these rabbinic traditions have, have come uh, over the ages, developed over time. I recognize not all of them are maybe authentic to first century or older. Um, but even in the four cups of Passover, the traditional four cups, um, we see Yeshua um, giving new meaning even to those, the cup of sanctification, where, um, man, that's a theme throughout many of Paul's letters talking about how God sanctifies us um, first with the redemption found in his son. You know, so I, I think we weave it throughout I, in, and not in a difficult, like fitting a square peg in a round hole type of way, but like just recognizing, wow, look at how the scripture lights up given the knowledge of this Passover event and seeing 
this new thing in the new covenant with Yeshua, um, it, it really lights up some of uh, the passages of scripture and some of the meaning of Passover, including the lamb, the lamb of Passover itself. So yeah, great. John, anything else to add before we move on to the final section here, talking about Passover and Easter and communion? Any, any final things to add about Messianic Passovers today? I'm just going to add a very friendly observation because mm. you and I have both been in the messianic sphere of influence for quite some time. Indeed. And there is a tendency for anybody who's been in the messianic community for a long time to, you know, live in this sort of messianic bubble. So mm. we take for granted, Oh, themes of Exodus and the deliverance of ancient Israel and Yeshua as the Passover lamb sacrifice for us. And even themes of the future, and the tribulation and uh, parallels between the original exodus and, and the judgments on the world and everything else. We take a mm-hmm. lot of those things for granted. And we just can't think about, you know, you know, Yeshua coming as anything else than the Passover lamb sacrificed for the sins of the world mm-hmm. uh, as the, as the grand fulfillment of the themes of the exodus. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what we're about to get into with pastor, the Eucharist and our good friend, the Easter bunny is that there are a lot of people who you know, are sincere believers. They want to do the right thing. They believe that yeah. Jesus is the Savior of the world. There's only one way to redemption, and that's through him, and that he is, has resurrected from the dead, and he's conquered the grave, and he's returning again to uh, you know, defeat a sin and, and Satan and everything else. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are sincere evangelical believers who are going to be remembering Yeshua's suffering. They're going to be remembering his uh, trial, his execution, his humiliation, his resurrection. And unfortunately, for whatever reason or series of reasons, they have absolutely no idea what some of the Old Testament background behind that is. Uh, yeah, you're right. I, I, remember, years ag- I remember years ago... Uh, we would be visiting, uh, when we lived in uh, Central Florida, we'd go up to Jacksonville. we visit my relatives who were Episcopalian. We went to their Anglican church. Uh, Father Tony Ferguson was the rector. And uh, actually, uh, at St. Peter's Anglican, they used more liturgy than most Messianic congregations or synagogues do. <laughs> wow. Okay, <laughs> they used more. Now, it was, all, it was all in English. It was all from the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, uh. And... Right before the Eucharist, they would be quoting from First Corinthians, you know, five, and mm. Father Tony would say, "Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us." And my mm. sister Maggie and I would give us would give the smirk at each other, <laughs> be like, "What are they doing?" But yeah. uh, it didn't stop us from going and partaking of the Eucharist, you know, just mm. in case they were right. You know, you never know. Mm. Um, but. Uh, how many people that's just a statement they really don't have any kind of an understanding of the background of where that comes from and and really some of the significant spiritual power that can be harnessed when you take advantage of you know the tanakh the torah the book of exodus and God's deliverance of ancient Israel. I mean, just for your mission, just for God's mission in the world and, you know, opposing injustice and opposing people who are in bondage. I mean, there, there's so many things that contemporary evangelicalism has missed out on. And 
while I know that, you know, many people in our Messianic community like to put, you know, well-meaning, and I'm not talking about Christians who are going through the motions, but, you know, well-meaning, sincere evangelical believers like to put them in the crosshairs this time of year. Oh, you're into Ishtar. Oh, you're into that bunny thing. Or, Mm. oh, you're into this or you're into that. Um, Mm. We need to do better. And we need to instead, rather than look down on them with condemnation, say, look, yes, they believe that Yeshua is the only way they rightly recognize his death, burial, and resurrection as the most important event in human history. But how much have they been cut off from really understanding what that's about, not just for the past, but also for the future? And, and we've got to do better. And, and, I, and I, think that, I, I think there are a lot of Messianics who, who are much more like we are. We want people to participate in the Passover, and when they get it, they will really get it and will be that much stronger as a body of Messiah for it. Yeah, yeah. Look, we we want more people to celebrate Passover. It's something the Lord himself did. I think sometimes um, we do things that are counterintuitive to that by making, as you said, well-meaning, sincere, Bible-believing Christians. Uh, We put them in the crosshairs over various issues. Uh, I think there's a better approach. I also will say, too, as we're about to dive into this topic, John, I think the messianic movement has in some ways neglected the resurrection. Um, Obviously Christianity um, sees Easter. They celebrate the resurrection. In fact, some churches don't even call it Easter. They just call it resurrection Sunday. Um, The resurrection is perhaps the, the biggest moment of the whole Bible. Um, So much led up to that. So much flows from that. And I know messianics sometimes say, oh, well, you know, we could, we could make the resurrection, maybe it falls about on the Feast of Firstfruits, which is kind of an ill-defined feast in the Torah if you get down to brass tacks there. Right, if, um, if it even it, is a feast. It, indeed, indeed, yeah. Right. Like, so if you it's really like... get into the Torah, it's like, is that really a feast or is that, like, part of this? So, yeah. Anyway, um, my point is, is I, I think we messianics could actually do could learn something from the Christian world too, with regards to the resurrection, because it's, it's that big of an event. Um, Passover is about the, the death of, of Messiah. Um, but the resurrection is kind of playing second fiddle to that in the messianic world. Well, one of the so. things, and perhaps your experience has been different than mine. So yeah. um, before I moved back here to North Texas, oh my goodness, almost over eight years ago, uh, when I was living in Central Florida, and I was more, I had more like Hebrew roots people in my immediate vicinity. Sure, uh, they were the people who really didn't want to explore themes of Yeshua's fulfillment of Passover this whole season, like should like they should have. Mm. Uh, they would have been the ones. Well, we're not so sure the Last Supper is a Seder meal. I'm like, well, then what is it? You know, mm. he says, mm. I earnestly desire to eat this with you. You <laughs> know, right. before it's I suffer. Like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this yeah. is. Uh, you know, you sound like some anti-Semitic church person there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're the <laughs> ones who, you know, really, you know, they, they didn't want to focus on themes of, of Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection. They wanted to instead debate, well, when do we start the counting of the Omer? You definitely started on the Sunday of, you know, mm-hmm. the, the day after the weekly Sabbath, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. as the Sadducees did, who, you know, mm-hmm. were a group who categorically denied the resurrection. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, Interesting. and, you know, they didn't understand, well, McKee, why do you believe in the Pharisaic method? 
you know, well, I'm looking at all the, this other information. But fortunately, the difference is only a few days into our eternal God. I'm sure there are much bigger things we can, you know, split yeah. over. That's uh, right. But when I... <laughs> When I moved back to North Texas, I'm thankful to, and got more into the Messianic Jewish sphere of influence again. Okay. I'm very thankful to say that during the past eight years of remembering Passover, it has been much more Messiah event focused, much more focused mm. on themes mm. of the Exodus, as well as Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, that's, that is in no small part, in this case, to some of the teachings of my local rabbi, David Schiller. Uh, he, uh, really, he really does, during this season, go overboard to make sure that themes of both the Exodus and the uh, Messiah event are taught together as both, mm-hmm. um, as, as, as both being imperative for mature believers. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I know that many in Messianic Judaism, because... This is the time that more people are going to be exposed to Messianic Jewish congregations than perhaps at any other time, maybe the fall holidays. But because of congregations, at least up until some of these COVID things manifested, having large congregational seders, they want you to go and invite your Jewish friends. They want you to invite your Christian friends. Uh, This is the time for us to really uh, display Messiah and declare the good news uh, of his work for us, that at least in, in my experience, the Messianic Jewish movement gets this season right. Fascinating. So when you were around the Hebrew roots folks, uh, more in that sphere anyway, uh, you were seeing maybe some majoring on minors in this case, like, oh, you know, uh, the, was it really a Passover Seder? When do we begin counting the Omer? Um, things, things of that right. nature, well, as opposed only, to the only circumcised men can eat of the meal. Uh, and I'm like, mm-hmm. well, first of all, there's no place to sacrifice a lamb. You can only sacrifice that in Jerusalem. Um, mm-hmm. Secondly, we're not having lamb because otherwise th- th- it would be seventy-five to eighty dollars a ticket, which yeah. you're not going to pay. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. and then third, you know. Don't we recognize that we are memorializing the Passover? We're not mm-hmm. actually participating in the Passover the same exact way as ancient Israel. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. yes, it would be fascinating to be able to inspect every male and see if they're circumcised. But uh, you know, <laughs> we pass. just have to move on. <laughs> I mean, those are the mm-hmm. kinds of things that mm-hmm. actually happened. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard along the same lines. There's even been some folks uh, maybe on the fringes of Hebrew roots where they are, you know, sacrificing a lamb in their backyard or something. It's like, oh boy, you know, it gets into some crazy territory. I would just say for folks to focus on the centrality of Yeshua. Uh, if if Passover is both a memorial of what God did and um, maybe that new iteration of Passover in the coming of Messiah, uh, let's let's focus on Yeshua. I think uh, we can't go wrong there. Um, hey, so with the the last part here, John, let's talk about Passover with regards to Easter and the Eucharist. Um, Actually, just this weekend, I had a Christian woman, a friend of ours, um, who we invited to Passover. And um, she was like, hey, can I bring anything to the Passover? And I said, said, oh, don't worry about it. Well, definitely don't bring bread because we don't eat bread then. And she asked me, oh, interesting. So is that where we, is that like communion or is that where we get communion from? Something to that effect. 
And I, I think I said something, ah, you know, I, I think they're related. And I think that's maybe a fair general statement without getting into the weeds too much. Um, so let's talk about these three, John, because Easter is, is positioned, is, is, is the, the, the placing of the date of Easter is kind of related to when Passover happens. Um, and then, of course, in churches, you have maybe once a month, it varies church to church, but you often have this taking of the Eucharist or communion where you're given a wafer. Uh, maybe it's like an oyster cracker or something and, and a little thimble of juice um, to remember um, what happened in the Gospels when Yeshua said, when you take this cup and eat this, um, do this in remembrance of me. So first, maybe a a big question. How do you see, are, are those three really related um, Easter Passover and the Eucharist and in what way? Let's talk high level first. Well, high level is if you're Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic or Protestant, there's a huge variance of how just Easter, this whole thing is commemorated. Mm. Um, there are differences of uh, these are some old files. Um, I hope I get some of this information, right. But uh some people are familiar, some people are not familiar with what it was known as, or what became known as the Cordodeciman controversy. That's right. Uh, so That's... Uh, one of the big divisions uh, in emerging Christianity in the second century, third century, uh, concerned how there were various Eastern churches following a tradition handed to them by Polycarp, the mm -hmm. successor of John the Apostle in Asia That's Minor. Right. Yes. where they commemorated the resurrection of Yeshua three days after the Jewish Passover. Mm -hmm. So one okay. of the things that's kind of shocking about that is, the, you mean, there were churches, you know, at least in the early centuries, who remembered the resurrection on any day of the week? Yeah, there, there really were. They, mm -hmm. um, whereas the Roman church, if I get this right from memory, they determined that the resurrection should be remembered on the first Sunday after the vernal equinox. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. uh, and of yeah, course, and remembering the resurrection now on a Sunday is, of course, just absolutely universal throughout uh, you know Christianity. You know, many people mm -hmm. believe. Uh, I even was raised in this tradition. Well, the reason the Sabbath was changed to Sunday was because Yeshua's empty tomb was discovered on Saturday as our, on Sunday morning. Um, and so we believe that, you know, Sunday is the new Sabbath, not because mm. we're going to go out and worship the sun God. Uh, that was right. the, that was the reasoning. And, uh, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. there is a lot of just variance there that many people and, are unfamiliar with. And if I may interject just one thing and I'll let you continue. Um, there is some concerning anti-Semitic statements from that controversy yes, about there the is. church's because I think the ruling included phrases like, uh, we ought to have nothing in common with the despicable Jew for the Savior has shown us a better way. Meaning, let's we're going to do this on Sunday as opposed to dating it based on Passover. That's so there correct. was, there was unfortunately, and, and look, it's, it's unfortunate reality that the church and the synagogue had... Um, all kinds of polemics against each other by that point in history, again, second, third, fourth century. Um, so that's just a side note to throw that in there, but continue, right. John. Now, we recognize that the practice of communion comes from the Last Supper, which we believe is a Passover Seder meal. So for lack of a better, a better label, 
you know, a lot of sincere evangelicals who take communion, they're having like Passover junior, um, mm. you mm. know, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, but there, of course, there are a lot of debates, you know, throughout Christian history regarding, well, uh, does the, you know, bread and wine actually change into the literal, you know, body and blood, you know, Roman Catholic transubstantiation Uh and and Lutheranism. Well, no, the presence of the Lord is with us when we partake of the bread and wine. That's consubstantiation. Uh, You've got Mm. uh, traditions, Catholicism, Anglicanism, some of the Protestant traditions that would use an unleavened wafer for the communion or Eucharist, uh, being raised in the Methodist tradition, we would uh, partake of communion via what was called intinction. So you would have a leavened loaf of bread and you uh-huh. take a piece of bread off of a loaf and you dip it in the grape juice and, and eat it. Um, oh, so, interesting. I'm I mean, these are just different. That. These are just different traditions. And of course, I would mm-hmm. like to know how in the heck they justify using leavened bread for communion when Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see all these themes about, you know, remove the leaven, you know, from your lives and, you know, <laughs> right, a little right. leaven leavens the whole lump of dough <laughs> designed to, um, I just, I don't, I don't remember. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do remember as a messianic at seminary being told, and this is probably the last time, this was over 16 years ago. This mm-hmm. is, and this is the last time I actually took communion that way that, you know, here is some bread that was cooked by five and six-year-olds prepared by five and six-year-olds who were, uh, you know, uh, sexually abused. And, mm. you know, this is their gift to us. So I'm like, well, okay, I'm just going to, you know, partake of the communion this way because, sure, you sure. know, it's, it's to honor, you know, something that one of the weightier matters. Yeah, yeah um, indeed, indeed. But uh, yeah, I, you know, many people, when they hear about Yeshua, the Last Supper, the Seder meal, they can mm-hmm. make the jump from communion to doing Passover. Yeah. What I think is more difficult for people is, you know, they get involved in a Messianic congregation. They see Yeshua in the feast, you know, as it were. Yes. They see Yeshua in the breaking of the bread. But then we get, you know, Passover is behind us. Unleavened bread is behind us. There's a few months and they're like, no, wait a second does your congregation observe communion? Um, Uh (laughs) And some people are, are, you know, ask that question. And there is variance of observance because, well, wait a second, as often as you eat this bread and drink this I wanted to ask you about that. What do you do about this? Yes. So there is a variance of opinion in the Messianic community. Mm -hmm. Most of the congregations I've been involved with consider that to be, in a, you know, when you partake of the bread and wine during the Passover Seder, mm-hmm. uh, the third cup of the of the Seder meal, there are there there are congregations I know that while they won't necessarily have a big public communion, perhaps mm-hmm. at a weekly prayer meeting or a monthly prayer meeting, they'll have some kind of a special service, and there will be a communion with matzah and you know grape juice or or yeah. wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's few and far between. If you're in a congregation that believe, and this is one of the big challenges if you have a really big congregational Passover Seder, if you believe that at the third cup of the Seder meal, that is the cup that's spoken of by Paul, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
then you need to make sure that that is a very holy and a very somber and sacred time. And unfortunately, I've been at too many Passover seders because it's usually after the the dinner meal has been served that people are already leaving to go home. Uh, you know, I've got kids who have to go to school the next day, or I've got you know, it, you know, mm. it's already nine forty five, and mm. so the congregational leadership has not adequately prepared ahead for you know, quote unquote communion, you mm. know, the annual mm-hmm. quote unquote communion, if you like. Uh, and that's a ch- that can be a challenge. Um, uh, I can say that in congregational seders I've been a part of over the past few years, it's gotten a lot better. But I do remember five, six years ago, that's when people were leaving to go home. I see. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was ju- and and that's it's also at the same time when the hotel wait staff was picking up everyone's you know uh, you know dishes and everything else. I see, and not exactly a holy time at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so there's wide variance then with regards to Passover and the Eucharist. Um, kind of a related question, John, and this might catch you off guard, um, so if you're unprepared, that's okay too. But I do know some folks have pointed to the Didache, um, an early, what's called the, the teaching of the 12 apostles to the Gentiles, something like that, as a early Christian work. Some people date it late first century, early second century, whether that's true or not, not sure. But in the Didache, it does talk about taking of the Eucharist. I think the translations we have anyway use that phrase, the Eucharist. And it would seem that um, they're taking it more than once a year, meaning it's not just Passover. Maybe it's some commemorative thing once a week, once a month, we don't really know. Any thoughts about the Didache and the Eucharist, Does which makes it appear some of the early Christians um, did this more than once a year. Right. Well, this is where I think some people get into debates on when the Didache was put together. Okay, fair enough. Because some people do date it to uh, even, I think, to the, to the, to the mid-first century, I, I've, I've seen people mm. date it. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, and I've seen people date it more early second century. So you've got this mm. wide spectrum of opinion. Okay. Um, I'm much more on the you know, early second century side. So this is definitely, to, to me, it's post-apostolic. I see, uh, I see. Okay. And yes, I, I, I believe it is a matter of historical fact that in the early second century, the Eucharist, what we commonly call communion, was being observed mm-hmm. on a more regular basis. Interesting. Uh, okay. So from that, we may say some of the early believers um, did take this cup and this bread, probably unleavened bread, in commemoration of Yeshua and did so more than just at Passover. Would you say that's a fair statement? Um, I, I am not sure how frequently it was done during mm. the lifetime of the apostles. Okay, okay, I'm not, interesting. I'm not sure, but I, but, I, mm. but I do believe that by the time various apostolic successors came on the scene, yeah. by the early second century, it was done more regularly. And, mm-hmm. and so I understand why Messianic congregations might have a communion type service during mm-hmm. a, you know, a monthly prayer gathering. There's nothing wrong. There's okay. nothing immoral about that. Indeed, indeed. Um, okay. And if you attend one, partake of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I have attended church services as a Messianic believer, when they, part- when they offer the bread and the wine, I partake of it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. And notice I didn't say I partook of the Eucharist at a Roman Catholic church because then I would be damning my immortal soul to uh, purgatory <laughs> or whatever. I'd have, I mean, there wouldn't be enough Hail Marys to you know, get me out of I'm just going, um, no, uh, it's always been in an evangelical Protestant, you know, said at the very most, good. it's been at an Anglican service uh, with my mm-hmm. relatives and they have an open table. I see. Yeah. I know some churches uh, use that as kind of a, oh, if you're not a member of our church or if you're not a, whatever it is, Anglican or whatever, then you're not, then please don't partake of, of the Eucharist. But I'd say uh, in circles that Messianics frequent, I would say that's more the exception to the rule. Usually it's an open thing. Um, certainly the church that we're attending, my wife and I and my family, um, it's an open thing. And yeah, for me, it's like, hey, I know, I know this comes from Passover. I know there's some texts from, you know, Paul, I think you, you touched on it there, John, where first uh, Corinthians 11, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. He's quoting Yeshua here. Do this as often as you drink it in memory of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I, I recognize that there's some wiggle room, perhaps, with regards to communion, right. where well, it, well, it doesn't need to be an affront to Passover. Right. Well, I am personally of the mindset that it's something to be observed annually and it's to be mm-hmm. something very serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also recognize how the Messianic community at times has failed to stress its, its severity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mm-hmm. have not seen, for example, in, you know, just, you know, as part of the Shabbat teaching leading up to the week of Passover, yes. maybe this is a good thing to talk about with the congregation. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, you know, even though I believe Messianic Judaism does a very good job with stressing Yeshua in the festival, um, yes. this is something that is that does need some improvement. Yeah, good. That's a good point. Um, and that's been a blind spot for me, actually. So it's good to hear you say that. Cool. All right. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the the Eucharist um, and its relationship to Passover. I think we're on the same page there that um, it doesn't need to be an affront to Passover. Passover is the original real deal, if you might say. Um, but there's there's no sin in commemorating what the Lord did um, more often than just Passover. And some folks choose to do that. Okay. Easter. Easter, I think some Messianic folks, especially Hebrew Roots folks, see Easter as like an anti-Passover, like it's a counter-Passover or even a counterfeit Passover, perhaps. Um, and so some people really see it as as evil. Um, folks have pointed to, look, the name Easter may be derived from Eoster or some, some Germanic um, gods um, or goddesses. Uh, and they say, look, likewise, the Easter bunny has nothing to do with the Bible, Messiah, even the resurrection itself. This, and some people say, let's just, we need to, we need to excise this thing from, from the believing world. So right. thoughts on, on Easter with regards to Passover. Well, I think that the true miracle of Easter is how a male rabbit can lay chocolate eggs. <laughs> that's what I believe. Uh, I knew, I knew, I knew something was coming there, John. Yes, the true I, miracle. Again. I, mean, I think that's so important. That, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I. On the one hand, um, I have to say this: 
you know, there are there are many sincere evangelical believers who know that the term Easter, you know, where did this thing come from? And, you know, we need to, you know, where did the Easter bunny come from? And we mm-hmm. need to instead refer to this day as Resurrection Sunday. And I yeah. appreciate mm-hmm. that. I think that's a step mm-hmm. in the right direction. I actually yeah. believe Yeshua was resurrected Saturday evening, but again, it's a step in the right direction. All right. Um, we, it, it's not, it's no secret that all this stuff with the Easter bunny and the Cadbury cream eggs and candy, 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 it's just yeah. all commercialism. Okay. Um, but it's very limited commercialism compared to, you know, Santa. Um, okay. I mean, it's mostly going to be selling candy. And, and if I can interject one thing there, John, in addition to commercialism, it also is a, a secularism, uh, a secularizing of, of a holy day. You right. Know? But, 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 you know, like the Easter basket, I mean, I, I remember yeah. I hadn't I haven't gotten an Easter basket you know since like 1988 maybe 1989 <laughs> okay, I mean okay. you know with all that you know um, you know fake grass and all that stuff and it was just candy okay. it wasn't I mean it you sure. know we didn't get anything exciting in it we got yeah. some chocolate candy uh, we got some jelly beans is that kind of you know is that kind of stuff sure um, sure I do remember uh, growing up in Northern Kentucky one of our neighbors. Uh, they had their that all they had all their grandparents uh, grandchildren over, uh, and and the grandfather you know, had a big Easter egg hunt. He had you know kind of a hilly yard and everything else. And in one of the Easter eggs, he hid a one hundred dollar bill, and he hid that one hundred dollar bill so well, even he forgot where he put it. Oh so, no! <laughs> so for several months after Easter, we were like, well, you know, maybe this thing is going to show up, and you know, I'm going to get the hundred bucks. Well. Yeah. I think that I think that hundred dollar bill uh, very quickly decomposed. And, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's all. That's my only real Easter story. Um, okay. Now I do know that for many people, the tradition at Easter is to eat yeast rolls and and eat ham. Um, mm. Actually, in our family, the tradition was to eat lamb at Easter. So uh-huh. uh, we customarily did not eat ham uh, all right but the actually Lord was preparing you <laughs> unlike unlike christmas and and the season of uh december because yep. easter is just you know really one day on the christian calendar uh, sure. it, if you don't live close to your christian family or friends if you mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it's a it's a lot easier when people say well you know you're in this messianic thing now when do you remember the resurrection it's very easy to say oh well we just integrated into our passover you know time and people who read their bibles enough know okay well that's good because yeshua is the you know jesus is the passover lamb and they're astute enough to know that during the you know elongated easter weekend uh you're going to see on television the greatest story ever told as well as the ten commandments ah Uh, so Mm. there people who are astute enough can follow this Oh, okay. So, you know, you just remember it in association with the past. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It may not be for that for me, but okay. Um, and you don't have to make a big stink about it. And, mm-hmm. and I know that once again, a lot of people on the Hebrew root side, they overstate their case. Okay. Um, okay. You know, Fair we've enough. got to want our Christian brothers and sisters to come over to our side rather than conti- continue to push them further away from us. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of this, you know, Easter, Ishtar, whatever it is, is pagan. It just overstates the case because really the great travesty is not 
yeast rolls and ham or the Cadbury, you know, cream eggs and the, you know, this, you know, male rabbit and all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The real travesty is people being cut off from the themes of Exodus and the Passover that are so vital for properly understanding Yeshua's arrival onto the scene to be sacrificed for our sins. Yes, yes, agreed. Yeah, and I, I, I do think oftentimes I have witnessed that the case overstated with regards to Easter. Um, and when you dig into it, it's like, okay, that's not all true. It does seem like there are elements of Easter that have their origins in, in again, not to be paganoid, but have their origins in, in pagan things. Um, there seem to be some ties and I'd, I'd love your opinion, your honest opinion, even if we don't see eye to eye. Um, I'd love you. Uh, there seem to be some ties with, um, oh, fertility, with maybe that has an impact on why we have rabbits. And even the name itself, as you said, maybe there are some ties there. Do you, John, as a person who has studied this out, you've answered this question a thousand times. How do you see the pagan ties to Easter? Um. I, I do think that there are some elements of ancient fertility rites, you know, going back to Babylon that mm-hmm. were probably, you know, in some form were adopted into the Christian quote unquote Easter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where does the name Easter come from? You know, mm-hmm. is it Germanic? Is it Ishtar? I mean, what, what is it? I, I yeah. don't, I don't, it's, 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 it's a huge question mark I see. Uh, I see. for me. Where did this, rabbit come from well i mean i remember years ago reading in a book that i picked up at a christian bookstore that well the hare's fertility uh you know during you know this the springtime you know parallels the you know the life of christ and i'm like give me a break here yeah this is crazy um (laughs) i remember of course and then i remember uh years ago uh when we lived out in the country one of our neighbors and the adjacent property gave us his rabbit uh and the rabbit actually bit me on the hand and uh, <laughs> that forever uh, put easter in a bad yeah, place blondie yeah. bunny as we were called because it was a blonde it was a blonde rabbit so we we, we mm-hmm. went from calling blondie bunny ravenous rabbit um mm-hmm. and so that just didn't work out too well um i i i think some of these things have been overstated i think if mm-hmm. we're going to stress anything once again the themes of the exodus and people who are sincere believers being cut off from the themes of Exodus, which just really should allow them to understand Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection that much more important because what happens to Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection when you don't understand Passover and the Exodus? Mm -hmm. You know, what prophecies did, did the Messiah come to fulfill? What typology is he demonstrating in his work? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is just really strange. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically what we're saying is, look, the the death and resurrection together are important events. Missing missing either, I think we are are losing, not losing, we're, we're omitting an important part of our faith. As Paul says, we're to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes with the taking of the bread. Um, but also were to look at his resurrection as so important. Paul says in another one of his letters that if it wasn't for the resurrection, then our faith is in vain. So my, I'll, I'll just tell folks my 
um, side of this. I, I was very, very anti-Easter for most of my life. Um, I've come around a bit to it. I think having a Christian wife um, helps a bit in that regard. It doesn't mean I'm I'm just like pretending everything's okay. It does bother me that there are some elements that appear to have pagan origins. Um, but at the same time, the resurrection of Yeshua celebrating that is so important. It's saying like, this is where God defeated death first in Messiah and then for the rest of the world uh, that one day we'll also, me and you, John, all the, all the people in the Lord, the billions of people who have put their trust in God will raise from the dead because of that event. Like, that's so important that, and I feel that the messianic world has um, made it such a, I don't know, a small issue. We're exhausted from Passover. Like, Hey, we did Passover. All right, we're done. Like we're done for, you know, a good month and a half before the next feast. And so I, I feel like we've, we've often missed that. So I, I don't have a problem. And I, I don't know, in the last few years, I've celebrated um, Easter with a church or with, um, a dinner at my in-laws or something like that. Um, and I'm okay. I, I can make it work, you know, because I'm, I'm focusing on the resurrection of Yeshua and maybe that's not for everybody. Maybe some listeners think that's um, heresy of some kind, but I can make it work and say, ah, you know what? The resurrection of Yeshua is the, I really do think the greatest event in history um, and the most meaningful for Yeshua's disciples that um, I can celebrate that and overlook some of the, the pagan connections. I know that uh, people just need to grow up and be a little more mature sometimes about these <laughs> okay, okay, about uh, these these seasons of the year. Um, mm. Fortunately, I would have to say Easter doesn't have the same amount of emphasis commercially as Christmas does. That's um, true. You know, you're not going to see uh, you know going into a, an office building, a bank. Uh, even some of, you know, department store, supermarket, whatever it is, you're not going to see the same kind of commercialism for Easter as you do for Christmas or Halloween. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They just, they just want to sell candy and it yeah. doesn't matter what the packaging is, whether it's, you know, Valentine's Easter, whatever it is. So uh, to, to me, maybe I have been in the messianic bubble this time of year for so long, it, I, I, I just don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, and I have learned to focus on commonality rather than differences first. Yes. Um, Yes. Yep. Good. So this year, when we go to commemorate Passover, there are going to be a lot of things discussed, uh, you know, going through the traditional Haggadah with themes of the Exodus, uh, a Messianic Jewish emphasis on the work of Yeshua and doubtlessly, uh, when we have that Passover dinner, when we talk with our friends, it's going to be about what is going on in our world. And so some of us are going to have to say, well, you know, if it gets really bad, we're just going to have to pray that God protects us like he did ancient Israel in the Exodus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's all that, going man. to be tied back to the Exodus. Yeah, yeah, that's right, man. Good. Well, my final thoughts to all this um, is... I encourage people to celebrate Passover. If, if you have never done it before, um, this is a great, great time to try. Maybe you can, um, maybe a congregation is open near you. Maybe you can do it in your home with your family. It doesn't have to be elaborate. You don't have to get into all the 
uh, di disputes about the timing and what elements you have to have at the table. <clears throat> I encourage people to do it because the Lord did it. Uh, his disciples did it. The Lord greatly desired to do it with his disciples to eat that Passover meal. Um, and it has special meaning for believers in Yeshua. It's not just a Jewish thing. It's, it's for all who put their trust in Yeshua, um, that when we do that, we remember him. So that's my bottom line for that. Um, and I would, I would say also with the Passover, Easter, Eucharist stuff, grace, uh, grace, because God has grace. Um, maybe you see differently. That's okay. Um, if, I think if our focus is right, uh, God honors that. Um, so that, that's my, my bottom line there. John, any, any closing thoughts, any final words for this Passover episode of the Messianic Walk? This is a very important time of year for us. I know that uh, because of previous years, I've very much been a part of congregational Passover seders, getting people assigned to tables, uh, being mm -hmm. one of the uh, greeters, you know, just, you know, being on call, whatever we can do to make this better for uh, people at our congregation and these several hundred guests. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't been involved with that for a couple of years. So it, it, it's, it's actually kind of nice, but it's also kind of sad because mm. we don't know if we will ever be able to return to those kinds of Passover seders again with, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, five, 600 people. There was a big Passover seder at, one of the Messianic Jewish congregations down in Houston a number of years ago, they made the national news and they had almost 1700 people, I think. I wow. mean, that was a lot wow. of people, Wow! Um, but it was in Ford. It was in, uh, it may have been 12. I don't remember, but it was a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know if we're ever going to be able to do that again as Messianic. So, uh, you know, get with your, you know, people in your congregation, get with those who you trust uh, and, you know, press into the Lord this time, because there are a lot of questions which are being asked about what is happening in our world. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people are very angry. A lot of people are confused. More than anything else, a lot of people are just depressed. Mm, yeah, <laughs> indeed, they, indeed. That's what Being they are more than anything else. Time, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we need to remember the salvation historical work of God in the yes. Exodus, the salvation historical work in Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection, because if this is the track record of the God we serve, he's going to protect us and he's going to preserve us with whatever comes in the future. Amen. Well said, John. Well, folks, I hope you all have enjoyed this episode of the Messianic Walk. I hope it's been helpful. Like John and I said, we really encourage you to celebrate Passover. The Lord did it. Uh, it has meaning for Yeshua's disciples, and we hope that uh, this this episode has maybe enlightened it a little bit for you as well. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, on behalf of myself, uh, John McKee, editor of Messianic Apologetics, Judah Hamango of the blog, Kinati Letzion, that's messianicapologetics.net, blog.judagabriel.com. We hope our discussion on the Messianic Passover has been enlightening, enriching, encouraging, but yes, even a little bit challenging as we yeah, seek yeah. to live our lives as a daily Passover. Uh, we look forward to you joining with us on another episode very soon as we continue to probe and discuss the important matters of 
the Messianic Walk. Until then, Hog Sameach, Pesach, God bless you, and take care. Hog Sameach, shalom, everyone.